Our scripture passage for today is Psalm 129. It's printed on page 10 of our bulletin or on the screen behind me. Uh, Greatly have they afflicted me from my youth. Let, Let Israel now say, greatly they have afflicted me from my youth. Yet they have not prevailed against me. The plowers plowed upon my back. They made long their furrows. The Lord is righteous. He has cut the cords of the wicked. May all who hate Zion be put to shame and turn backward. Let them be like the grass on the housetops, which withers before it grows up, with which the reaper does not fill his hand, nor the binder of sheaves his arms, nor do those who pass by say, the blessing of the Lord be upon you. We bless you in the name of the Lord. The word of the Lord. Good afternoon again. Um, kids, as you are listening in to the sermon this afternoon, a couple things for you to be listening for. Uh, there are two main images in this psalm, so we're going to take those two images. First is of a plow. And the second is of grass, and then we'll uh, talk about a man named Boaz for just a minute. And so those are the three things, plow, grass, and Boaz. And then uh, grown-ups, if you need some help, uh, like I often do, um, verses 1 through 4 are about deliverance, and 5 through 8 is about intervention. So that's where we're we're headed. Um, This sermon, or this this sermon series this summer has been through the Psalms of Ascent. So if you're new with us, we've been looking at this section, kind of a subsection within the 150 Psalms in the Bible, 120 through 134, that um, are really used by God's people as they journey from their homes up to Jerusalem for the feasts throughout the year. And so um, some of them are really joyous, and beautiful, and excited. Let us go to the house of the Lord. There's all of this excitement. Uh, Some of them are not exciting. Some of them recount the difficult history of the people of Israel, and that's where we are in this psalm today. If you remember last week, if you were here, Psalm 128 is this blessed, or is everyone who fears the Lord. And it's this beautiful reminder of the easiness, as uh, Eugene Peterson puts it, of the Christian life. That it's so beautiful uh, to be blessed by the Lord and uh, walking with him is in some ways the easiest thing that you can do. And right behind that, with some intentionality, I believe, is this psalm that would give a very different perspective on what it means to walk with God uh, in this pilgrim journey that we're all on. And this psalm uh, is a little more stark. It's a lot more stark, right? Verse one, greatly have they afflicted me from my youth. So you can imagine the, um, the, the worship leader saying, greatly have they afflicted me from my youth. And then he goes on to say, let, let Israel now say, and it's a corporate, there is this corporate response, and they repeat, greatly have they afflicted me from my youth. Uh, John Calvin, kind of writing in a summary of this psalm, says this. This psalm, Psalm 129, teaches in the first place that God subjects his church to various troubles and afflictions, to the end that he may better prove himself her defender and deliverer. 
The psalmist therefore recalls to the memory of the faithful how sadly God's people have been persecuted in all ages and how wonderfully they have been preserved in order by such examples to fortify their hope in reference to the future. He's saying God's allowed these sufferings to come, this, uh, these challenges, troubles, and afflictions so that he can prove himself their deliverer and they can, through his faithfulness, look forward to his continued deliverance. Do you see that? We've talked about this. This is uh, all over the scriptures, but it's certainly true for us this, this afternoon. God's faithfulness in the past allows us to be confident of his future deliverance, of his future intervention, even in the midst of some really hard providences, even in the midst of really difficult circumstances. One of my seminary professors, Jay Sklar, uh, is an Old Testament scholar, uh, author. He wrote, a, he wrote a commentary on Leviticus, um, and it's a special type of Christian and academic to write a commentary on Leviticus. But he also has done a lot of work in the book of Ruth. And his refrain as he talks about Ruth is that the presence of difficult circumstances does not mean that God has abandoned you. And I think that that's a helpful reminder even for us today. Derek Kidner, another scholar, uh, commentator, on this uh, psalm says this, whereas most nations tend to look back on what they have achieved, Israel reflects here on what she has survived. And I I think that's a beautiful picture for us, right? That some of our deepest blessings, some of our richest experiences in this journey, this pilgrim journey of faith are remembering the times when God, our deliverer, has shown up for us. We remember what we've survived. We look back on COVID. We look back on cancer. We look back on whatever it may be, and we know that God is faithful to keep his promises. We look back at injustice in the world, and we know that God is righteous, that he is the one who stands for justice and will bring justice on earth. And we can rest in his deliverance and his intervention. Let's walk through just these verses quickly. Verses one and two set the stage for us as the people of Israel and and us by extension. Remember what we have survived. And yet we have not, they have not prevailed against me. There's this picture. We need to remember the difficulties we've gone through, but we are still Standing, uh, I read a story this week about the Presbyterian Church of Scotland, and uh, they've existed a long time. And um, the image, the lo- logo, it, some of you maybe have seen the PCA's logo. No one asked me for my opinion. I think it looks like Boba Fett if you actually um, go to the website and see it. Some of you will get that reference. But uh, the, the, the logo of the Church of Scotland is and has been for a long time the burning bush. And it's a picture, it gets at some of what this psalm is talking about. Listen to this. The Presbyterian Church of Scotland, they chose the symbol of the burning bush. It's a manifestation, it's a theophany of God. 
It's God speaking to Moses, if you remember that story, out of the burning bush. It's, it's burning, but it's not consumed. The phrase attached to it, even in Latin, means it is, however, not consumed. And that's the picture. They, all of their persecution, the, the beginning of the history of the Church of Scotland is uh, hundreds of years of persecution. Um, thousands and thousands died for religious freedom in the, in the first 130 years of the church. They look back at those times and call them the killing times. And it was in the midst of that that they chose the burning bush as the picture of their church. It's the Lord's preservation of the bush and the preservation of his church that was so meaningful to them. In your bulletin, there's a a quote from Theodore Beza, who was one of John Calvin's disciples. Speaking to King Henry, says, Sire, it is the lot of the church to endure blows and not to inflict them. But may it please you to remember that the church is an anvil that has worn out many hammers. I love that image. The burning bush not being consumed of the anvil of the church. And at all of these persecutions and all of this trouble and all of these afflictions come. And at the feet of the anvil is just broken hammers. And the church is continues. The church has persevered. The church has been sustained by the Lord God himself. They have not prevailed against me. You get this picture in verse three. Uh, It's rather gruesome. Uh, I'm going to try to do it justice, but just know it's worse than what I'm saying. Um, Of this, these plowers, of the Israelites, uh, they're, they're identifying themselves as being plowed upon. So the plow had this like pointed, sharp instrument, usually had handles on it, and it was tied uh, with rope to an ox, and the ox would pull it and drag it, and it would dig these deep furrows in the ground that you could then come behind and plant in, right? So they were deep furrows. And verse three says, the plowers plowed upon my back, They made long their furrows. And so the picture is of the Israelites actually laying in the field and the plowers coming over them with the plow, digging furrows into their back. That's the picture of the church, of the nation of Israel and the church. It says in verses one and two that they even, uh, they've been afflicted, that this has been their story from their youth. And you think about the start of the nation of Israel in Genesis and in Exodus, you think about the pharaohs putting them into slavery uh, and their treatment by the Egyptians. Um, Commentators, it's actually pretty funny. They can't pinpoint the, the context for this psalm because it could be so many different things, right? It could be their treatment before the exile. It could be their treatment in Nehemiah and Ezra as they return from exile. The, the truth, the history of the nation of Israel has been one of affliction. These deep furrows being dug by the plow. And then in verse four, you get this change The first mention of the Lord himself. The Lord is righteous. He has cut the cords of the wicked. And you see this deliverance. The Lord is righteous. He is just. He is the one who will avenge and deliver his people. 
he is the one who comes and has shown his faithfulness to his people. They've endured so much and yet are still standing. The church has undergone so many persecutions and it's still here. The Lord is righteous. He is the just one. So even though we suffer, and even though we may not have immediate deliverance, we know because of God's faithfulness, because of his righteousness, that there, is, there will be justice. He has cut the cords of the wicked. The picture here is of the cords connecting the plow to the ox just being cut. And the ox can run off and the plow can't move on its own. It has to be pulled. And so there is this relief from suffering. There is this freedom that comes because the Lord is righteous and delivers his people. We move on to verses five through eight. We see another section. We'll come back to verse four uh, in a little bit. But five through eight really talk about a future intervention. Because God has been faithful and has delivered us in the past, we can trust him and we can pray, even pray an honest prayer like this. Right? A little context. You remember in the nation of Israel, when it, in its forming, that God says to Abraham, I will be your God and you will be my people. I will bless you and you'll be a blessing to the whole earth. Those who I bless will be blessed. Those who I curse will be cursed. And so this prayer, it may sound odd to us, but it's here in the Psalms, this prayer of cursing, this prayer of uh, destruction, of uh, an imprecatory psalm, maybe you've heard that before, where, where the psalmist is praying, God, would you be just? Would you carry out your justice on the righteous and on the wicked? And would the wicked see their end? Now, it is a thorough, uh, a thorough undoing of the wicked. Okay, let's walk through this together. Verse five, may all who hate, hate Zion be put to shame and turned backward. So the picture here is this disgrace that comes upon them and they're actually moving in the wrong direction. May they be disoriented. May they be transient. May they, maybe they just wash away, right? Get swept away and move in the wrong direction. Verse six, let them be like the grass on the housetops which withers before it grows up. So um, this, <laughs> this one could say, may let them be like the grass in my front yard right now. <laughs> this is the picture, right? It is, um, in, in those days, there were beams and sod, right? You'd kind of put uh, soil on the roof to, to, to keep water from coming in and like grass could blow across it, maybe some would take root, but the root was so shallow that if the grass came up at all, it would be immediately scorched because it's in full sun all day, like our poor, poor yards right now. And the picture here is that, that the, the wicked would be those who, maybe are, are strong for a time, but then disappear. 
that they, would, um, they wouldn't come to any lasting significance, that they would be insignificant, even unsuccessful, that what they would try to do, you couldn't, they couldn't accomplish, right? that whatever their efforts are, it would be scorched out. Whatever they were trying to do, uh, before it even grows, it would wither. And then verse 7, it changes the grass analogy just a little bit. Um, It says, with which the reaper does not fill his hand, nor the binder of sheaves his arms. And the picture here is really one of success. So if you were uh, reaping grass, you would grab it with one hand, a clump, and then cut kind of at the bottom. And what they're saying, what the psalmist is saying is, may our enemies be so small that I can't even grab them to cut, right? That they would shrink to such a point that you couldn't even get a hold of the grass to be able to reap it. Or if someone's putting it into sheaves in his arms, it would be like picking up like the just little trash pieces. It wouldn't even fill their arms when they, when they tried to reap it, that it would just disappear. It would amount to nothing. Verse 8 takes another little bit of a twist here. I need to give a little bit of background on this. Verse 8 says, Nor do those who pass by say, The blessing of the Lord be upon you. We bless you in the name of the Lord. Now, uh, what's happening here happens in the book of Ruth. If you remember uh, the story of Ruth and Naomi, uh, their kinsman redeemer, Boaz, was this kind man, uh, farmer, uh, has this property. And it, the picture that you get in, uh, in Ruth 2 is of this abundant farm, this l- crop. And you would, you know, the owner would take the middle 90%, but leave the edges, right, for the widows and the orphans, uh, for the aliens, for the outcast. And there would be these edges that they could come by and they could, they could gather on their own. And Boaz walks up in Ruth 2 and says just this greeting. The blessing of the Lord be upon you. And then the response from the workers in the, in the field is we bless you in the name of the Lord. And you have this beautiful picture of God's blessing and abundance. You have this communal gathering. Everyone in the town is cared for. Even Naomi and Ruth are cared for because of the blessing of God and the kindness of Boaz. And so this psalm says, may that not happen to the wicked. May they be alone, right? When no one say to them, the blessing of the Lord be upon you. May there not be any abundance. Now, what, are, what do we do with this? <laughs> I haven't prayed like this in a long time. Uh, maybe ever. Um, <clears throat> we are not uh, here in Fort Worth, uh, likely, to know the kind of affliction and troubles that would cause one to pray this way. Some of us maybe have. We know people who have. But what do we, what do, we do with this? It feels a little bit weird to pray this way, that our enemies would be destroyed in this way, that they would be small and unsuccessful, transient, excluded from the community of blessing. I think there are a couple of lessons for us. <clears throat> First lesson is this, these prayers are in the Bible. 
and they're actually all over <laughs> the Bible. They are, there are lots of places in the Psalms where people pray this way. And it may not be our current experience of life that these would be common prayers for us, and yet we are identified in the community of believers with people around the world right now who need these prayers prayed for them. And so we can join in these prayers because we are a part of the church of God. We are brothers and sisters with people who are in war-torn Ukraine, who are slaves, sex-trafficked slaves in places all around the world. We can join together with brothers and sisters who are suffering this affliction, and we can pray these prayers with them, for them. We are our brother's keeper and we ought to be aware of what's happening and be um, sensitive to, to the needs of others and to know how to pray for them. Sometimes these are the prayers. God, bring justice. Would those who would fight against the cause of the gospel be diminished? Would the work, the gracious love and transforming power of Jesus be more evident to those who've never heard the gospel than the wicked who would want to subvert everything that the gospel is about. Those are perfectly appropriate prayers for us to pray. Secondly, this isn't ultimately about us and its fulfillment isn't actually in us. The fulfillment of this psalm is actually in Jesus, the second person of the Trinity who is at the same time just and the one who suffers the curse for us. That picture of the plow going over the backs of the Israelites, well, there is a true Israelite, Isaiah tells us, who did suffer the curse for us. By his wounds, we are healed. It's Jesus, before he's put on the cross, whose back is whipped. Digging these long furrows into his back. That's a picture that we can put together on this side of the cross to see that actually God's justice is carried out completely on Jesus. He is the only one without sin, but he certainly suffered in our place. He is the one who bore our afflictions. It is through his suffering and his death that justice for all who are in Christ is satisfied. If you are outside of Jesus, if he is not your Lord and Savior, there is a judgment for those people, the wicked, the lost, however the Bible talks about them. They're outside of Christ, justice will be brought to them one day. There will be a day of judgment. For all of us in Christ, on that day of judgment, we will look to Jesus. Jesus. 
and God will be satisfied because of all that Jesus has accomplished for us in our place. And we will be ushered in, found worthy in the judgment, not because we're worthy, but because he is worthy. And so we pray, not just that our enemies would be defeated, We pray that they would come to the end of themselves and know the grace and the beauty and the love of Jesus. That they would themselves experience the beauty of the gospel and become a son or a daughter. Diminish them, bring them to the end of themselves that they might see their need for Jesus and come to him, submit, be transformed, be adopted, be saved. It is because of Jesus that we know the righteousness of God. It is because of Jesus that we know some measure of justice and can have complete confidence that at the last day, Jesus will bring full measures of justice to bear in the world. And we can rejoice. He is righteous. We will not be prevailed over. The church will continue until Jesus comes back. This goes against all of our sensibilities. Uh, American, certainly American individualist uh, sensibilities. Um, So often our lives are a pursuit of control and a pursuit of power. We want everything to go the way we think it should go, and we want to be the ones who determine how it goes. We are not called to control the world from a position of power, but as my friend, uh, Pastor Matt Howell says, we are called to serve the world from a position of weakness. We recognize that the life of Trinity The life of the church here in the United States, the life of the church in the world until Jesus comes back will be one that is marked by suffering and persecution. And yet we still serve. We love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We love our neighbors as ourselves. It is upside down math. It is through the weakness of the disciples of Christ, that the beauty and the power of the gospel is made known. It is through our bearing sufferings and weakness and trials and affliction that the gospel is most clearly made known to our neighbors. We trust in Jesus to be the one to make everything right in the end and until that day we walk with him We bear our sufferings as a community together. We love well, and we will see these things come to pass. Let's pray. Lord God, you are kind in all that you do. Father, thank you for your word. Uh, It's hard to hear and even say that the the life of uh, the church is one marked with suffering and affliction. And yet, Lord, you are our deliverer. You have seen fit to deliver us in the past, and we can trust that you will do that again.
Lord, we lean into the hope of the resurrection and in Jesus' second coming that you will bring justice on earth. Lord, that you will set everything to rights. That you will see the wicked diminished and the gospel proclaimed. Father, we trust you. We look to you to do that. Give us patience, perseverance. Help us to love you and to love our neighbor as we serve the world until you return. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.